0: Lovable, please. Oh, shut it. Anyway, we'll be talking about the role of animals in the First World War. Over
1: 16 million animals were used in World War One, including horses, dogs, pigeons, canaries, and even slugs. There were surely a lot of animals, even more than Pokemon, and nowadays I think they're up to 800.
2: Animals served valuable roles in the war, even changing the course of it. They carried soldiers into and away from battle, carried messages, alerted soldiers of danger, and ca- Soldiers worked hard to keep them safe, even having specialized gas masks for the mammals and gas-proof chambers for the pigeons.
0: Today, we're going to be talking about four main categories of animals that served during the war. We're going to be talking about our transporters, our messengers, our pest control, our warning systems, and a few categories in between. More than
1: 136,000 horses served in the First World War. First World War, horses, donkeys, camels, mules, and even elephants were used to transport
2: soldiers, weapons, ammunition, and food. Horses were seen as the key to saving soldiers' lives. The U.S. Army Quartermaster Museum erected a plaque dedicated to the horses and mules that served in the expeditionary forces during the Great War. Camels fitted with castlets to carry the wounded would transport casualties to aid posts, dressing stations, or field hospitals. One camel would usually carry two injured men, one on each side of its level.
0: Now, onto one of my favorite animals, pigeons! Pigeons played a large part in the war, and it was even against the law to mess with them. Anyone caught, quote, killing, wounding, or molesting a pigeon would be fined or imprisoned. They were the messengers of the war, important because of their ability to fly high and find their way home. Both sides of the war used tens of thousands of pigeons, carrying them all across Europe. Cher Ami was one of the pigeons serving in France. He delivered a message that saved over 200 American lives, even after being shot through the leg and chest.
1: Dogs were also used as messengers and attended a special training school. The school helped them adjust to the sights and sounds of war while staying focused on the task at hand. Dogs have a remarkable sense of smell and sense of hearing, making them suited for detection duties. Many dogs were employed as guard dogs, watching over important military locations and alerting someone about trespassers. Scouting dogs could alert their handlers about the presence of enemy troops or landmines. Dogs were used as pest control
2: as well. Another animal that was used as pest control in the trenches was cats. Cats were kept in trenches and aboard ships to keep rats at bay. The rats were attracted to the food, waste, and dead bodies. The British Royal Navy was. Cats like other animals, were also kept as mascots by many regiments in the group.
0: Finally, our last category is our warning systems. Two major animals in this category are the canary and the slug. Both of these animals helped warn soldiers of dangers to their health and lives. Both canaries and slugs were used to detect poison gas in the air. It's no horsing around. Get, get it? Horsing around? Anyway, I'm your lovable loud enough breed. Lovable, please. Oh, shut it. Anyway, we'll be talking about the role of animals in the First World War.
1: Over 16 million animals were used in World War I, including horses, dogs, pigeons, canaries, and even slugs. There were surely a lot of animals, even more than Pokemon, and that is, I think they're up to 800.
2: Animals served valuable roles in the war, even changing the course of it. They carried soldiers into and away from battle, carried messages, alerted soldiers of danger, and kept pests from the soldiers. Soldiers worked hard to keep them safe, even having specialized gas masks for the mammals and gas chang- chambers for the pigeons.
0: Today we're going to be talking about four main categories of animals that served during the war. We're going to be talking about our transporters, our messengers, our pest control warning systems and a few categories in between. More than 136,000
1: horses served in the First World War. In the First World War, horses, donkeys, camels, mules, and even elephants were used to transport soldiers,
2: weapons, ammunition, and food. Horses were seen as the key to saving soldiers' lives. The U.S. Army Quartermaster Museum erected a plaque dedicated to the horses and mules that served in the American expeditionary forces during the Great War. Camels fitted with castlets to carry the wounded would transport casualties to aid posts, dressing stations, or field hospitals. One camel would usually carry two injured men, one on each side of its slum.
0: Now, onto one of my favorite animals, pigeons. Pigeons played a large part in the war, and it was even against the law to mess with them. Anyone caught, quote, killing, wounding, or molesting a pigeon would be fined or imprisoned the messengers of the war, important because of their ability to fly high and find their way home. Both sides of the war used tens of thousands of pigeons, carrying them all across Europe. Cher Ami was one of the pigeons serving in France. He delivered a message that saved over 200 American lives, even after being shot through the leg and chest.
1: Godsworth also uses messengers and attended a special training school. The school helped them adjust to the sights and sounds of war while staying focused on the task at hand. Dogs have a remarkable sense of smell and sense of hearing, making them suited for detection duties. Many dogs were employed as guard dogs, watching over important military locations and alerting someone about trespassers. Scouting dogs could alert their handlers about the presence of enemy troops or landmines. Dogs were used as pest control as well.
2: Another animal that was used as pest control in the trenches was cats. Cats were kept in trenches and aboard ships to keep rats at bay. The rats were attracted to the food, waste, and dead bodies. The British Royal Navy was known for keeping them aboard their ships. Cats, like other animals, were also kept as mascots by many regiments in the world.
0: Finally, our last category is our warning systems. Two major animals in this category are the canary and the slug. Both of these animals helped warn soldiers of dangers to their health and lives. Both canaries and slugs were used to detect poison gas in the air.
3: That is actually in war. I'm Big L, and today we're talking about weaponry and tanks with Brandy Beans Ch.
4: Hi, I'm Brandy Beans, and thank you for having me in the trenches.
3: Anytime. Our views have been our views have been bombing, so it's nice to have a guest on. And speaking about bombs, let's talk about the insane weapons that are outside nowadays.
4: Weaponry really took a jump at the start of World War One, combining original old school tactics and combining them with newer and better weapons really helped out both sides in the war.
3: Like machine guns, how before this point, guns used to shoot three shots a minute. With this innovation, they can now shoot 300 bullets a minute downrange across the battlefield.
4: Before the war, hand-to-hand combat had been primarily used in infantry warfare. However, the Great War really impacted these use of new weaponry.
3: Nothing had a bigger impact than those missiles. Uh, Artillery was a leading killer by a long shot, killing about 59% of Central Power soldiers.
4: German artillery actually fired cylinders that contained poison gas at the beginning of the war. From there, other countries created gases such as chlorine gas, which could damage the skin, and respiratory
3: system. Gas attacks were quite common during the Great War, although they didn't kill many people. They were still considered far too violent and terrorized whenever used. Now, poison gas is considered a war crime by international law.
4: Mines have also been banned by international law in 1997, with 150 countries agreeing that they should be outlawed. They were primarily used for blowing up vehicles that would drive by and soldiers who would travel into no man's land.
3: Mines were very effective because tanks would have been roaming around long as anything in their past. These land ships were effectively durable and over a thousand of these were used in the final battles of the war.
4: The Great War was really great in the use of new weapons and tanks. World War One Although not the most destructive war in history, made an impact and showed the world how much technology had advanced.
3: We should get going before we leave an impact on us. Haha. Ha. Thank you for listening to the In the Trenches podcast. Make sure to leave a rating, check out the Patreon, and watch your step. We will hopefully see you next week. We don't know. Podcast out. Out.
5: <laughs> yeah. Hello, friends. Shooting live from Saskatchewan, Canada. Welcome you back to another grand episode of Why Men Ruin History. We're going to be talking about the interesting and quite honestly depressing messages that conveyed the music and poetry during the First World War... As you guys know, we can obviously pinpoint the problem, but we don't have time
6: for that. In light of recent events, we thought we would share some opinions and feelings people had about World
5: War I and how those opinions led to creative artworks. Artworks that could be enjoyed anywhere and at any time. Although it's quite shocking, in my opinion, that so many people supported war due to pride. Young teens were drafted into the war and were told that it was patriotic and honorable, which was seen with their choice in music, ragtime and jazz being the most influential, especially in the trenches. It was very syncopated, meaning it was just a revamped version of the
6: things that were done before in those genres. Most of the tunes created were improvised, and the banjo was the main inspiration. Ooh, very nice. We, we love a good banjo movement. On the other hand, the parents of these young adults thought the idea of kids fighting a war was an injustice. This is seen repeatedly in poetry and music as well. The Soldier by Rupert Brooke and My Boy Jack by Rudyard Kipling are some of the most memorable. Rupert opens his poem with, If I should die, think only this of me, that there's some corner of a foreign field that is forever England. Rudyard's poem starts with the narrator asking, Have you news of my boy Jack? And once hearing that no one had, the narrator says, Oh dear, what comfort can I find?
5: then there were the soldiers who were completely accepting of the idea of dying for their country, and those who only accepted their fate because they saw no other option. The poem in Flanders Field by John McRae reads, If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders Field. Wow,
6: how moving. Quite literally. Most music conveyed the message that being a part of the war was something you should be proud of. The most memorable song at the time was George Cohen's Over There. He spreads the message that American men should be eager to participate. It goes, hear them calling, you and me, every son of liberty. Hurry right away, no delay, go today.
5: I fear that this is an ongoing theme with the culture of Americans, that war is so normal and honorable. It was rare that people spoke out publicly about how straining the effects of war were on daily life. Facts, no printer. The first hit record to come out at the time, in 1915, was a song called I didn't raise my boy to be a soldier by Marilyn Horne and Carl Davis it faced a lot of controversy because we all know those Americans are just far too patriotic
6: the lyrics convey a mother's point of view as her son is being forced into fighting a war he never wanted to be part of the chorus leads with I didn't raise my boy to be a soldier I brought him up to be my pride and joy who dares to put a musket on his shoulder to shoot some other mother's darling boy powerful So between the jazzy tunes in the trenches, the amazing lyrics Bestie Pilma Wright was spitting, the African-American influence on ragtime, and depressing but moving lines written by
5: Rudyard, Rubert, and many, many more, we can conclude that war provokes all kinds of emotions. And sometimes, if we're really lucky, those emotions create art instead of more chaos.
6: Thank you for tuning in, friends. It has been our pleasure to enlighten you. Smiles intensely and waves.
7: Welcome to the Great Cast Podcast, where we're going to talk about propaganda posters using World War, I. Yeah, War One.
8: Yeah, War One. Such a great time, man. Um, so the but, so the first um, propaganda poster we're going to look at today is the "I Want You for the U.S. Army" poster with you Uncle know, I, Sam. Yeah, this is like one of the most popular ones people know. It's them pointing at you with a little finger and a top hat going, "I want you for the U.S. Army." Yeah, I mean, even Great Britain wanted them, like, dang. Yeah, they copy us anyways. They they used to us, us, honestly.
7: Yeah, they copied them and used them and Mm depicted them as a grim-looking Lord Kitchener urging Britain to enlist in the army. Like, they literally just copied and pasted changed them and was like, aye, we good.
8: Yeah, Mm because we're just just so much better like them, honestly. Mm Mm-hmm the point of this poster was obviously to make people feel obligated to go to the u.s army because you know we're going to war with people we're going to need soldiers and what better way than to threaten people with a good-looking man Mm
7: -hmm. a smexy man this Mm -hmm. point at you saying i want you
8: all right so then we got then we got um we got another poster um um, I honestly have no idea what this thing is. <laughs> I... It's kind of like it's kind of like
7: a sloth-looking dude. It kinda looks like a he actually, yeah, he actually has oil dripping off his hands, and to uh, kind of like a little tea glass. Yeah, yeah. And that says kind of, configuring.
8: His hat has like the turkey logo on it, and yeah, I don't, I don't know what that has to do with anything, but it might be, it might be to like showing that um maybe turkey like you know stirred up some trouble in the little europe place around the way you know during the war
7: yeah and the cool thing about this what's wrote on the cup it actually stands for uh the first word the configurating word it stands for a great fire that does like a lot of destruction to property and land and europe so what you can kind of get from this is that whatever symbols on the hat, which we think might be Turkey, they're adding fuel to the fire in Europe at this point in the war. That's crazy.
8: And everyone blamed Germany. Anyways, yeah. we got to move on because we only got a little bit of time left in our little segment here. So we have another Navy poster for, made by the United States Navy depicting a woman saying, gee, I wish I were a man. Yeah, you know what, it kind of feels like a little off
7: with her saying that so happily because I wouldn't wish to be a man at this time going to war and then, like, having a 25% plus chance of
8: dying. Yeah, it's honestly, but, you know, even if, like, there's a bunch of downsides to it, you know, we're going to war, we need soldiers, so what better way to make men feel, like, feel their egos with this imagery of women wanting to be them you know
7: and what's funny is some people actually like soldiers enlisted because they saw this hot young lady as like the head figure of the navy and so they i guess you know their urges got the best of them they decided to join because they saw a nice looking young lady as the poster figure of the navy
8: honestly sounds about right yeah all right, and then we got then we got another really popular poster here. It, destroy this mad brute. So here it depicts a, I uh, guess a gorilla with a club.
7: Yeah, it almost looks like King Kong holding the woman with like a giant club.
8: Yeah, then it says destroy the mad brute, endless. But so I'm guessing it's uh, on the hat. I'm pretty sure it, it seems to say it's something along the lines of Germany, isn't it? Yeah. So. and it was
7: actually created by Harry Hawks in 1917 and it was trying to get people to enlist and the goal was to promote the enlisting a young man into U.S. Armies in World War I and during this time Woodrow Wilson wanted to keep America neutral so it was kind of a controversial piece of the time
8: well that's all the time we got left uh, for our little segment um,
7: and thank you for joining our podcast See ya. Bye.
9: Why was World War I so quick? I don't know. Why was it? Because they were Russian.
10: Welcome to the Nemodos Podcast. I'm Juliana.
9: And I'm Chloe. They covered the Great War, but was it all that great? Let's talk about it.
10: There are many different diseases and injuries that are still well-known to this day.
9: What are the names of these so-called
10: diseases? A few well-known are influenza, trench fever, and trench foot.
9: Are there any specific characteristics?
10: Well, with influenza, commonly known as the flu, many people suffer from sore throat, fevers, and body aches. Trench foot and trench fever were both big things inside the actual war. Why are they both labeled with trench? Trenches were a huge part of World War One. They would spend weeks straight in these trenches, where they would flood, making it so the soldiers' feet would get wet and never be able to fully dry. Basically making it where they suffer from gangrene on steroids.
9: Wow. TMI.
10: You asked, I answered. What about trench fever? Trench fever had many symptoms, including a sudden fever, headaches, weakness, sore muscles, and severe pain in the soldier's back and shins. Ouch. A definite ouch. Do you know anything about how they would treat these illnesses?
9: To treat these diseases and injuries, many physical resources on and off the battlefield were available.
10: What do you mean by many?
9: I'm talking five resources on the battlefield and six resources off the battlefield.
10: Wow, that's a lot. If there are so many, How were they able to keep up with it?
9: Well, all the resources were divided off into sections. On the battlefield, care was for those who needed short-term or immediate
10: care. Kind of like urgent care today?
9: Yes, like that. However, for on-the-field treatment, there was a treatment and evacuation system that ran from the front lines to the rear of the field. In order, the systems consisted of three battle aid stations or regimental aid stations ambulances section, dressing stations, field hospitals, and evacuation hospitals.
10: Pause. Do you know Marie Curie? You know the one who discovered the element uranium? Yeah, what about her? Well, did you know she worked with the Red Cross team to equip hundreds of radiological vehicles with X-ray machines, creating ambulances nicknamed Petite Curies or Little Curie?
9: Who would have thought that something like uranium had a big impact on World War I medicine?
10: Crazy, right? But what was done about the off-battlefield medical care? Well, off-battlefield
9: care consisted of lots and lots of big corporation hospitals and transportation.
10: Speaking of, what are some of the things that were practiced when it came to medicine created in World War One? Like what stayed or left?
9: Let's just say it was a limb graveyard and mismatched Barbie parts. Ew! It was estimated that over 20,000 amputations were performed.
10: Most of the time, it wasn't even that the limb had the initial injury, I bet.
9: Nope. Seven percent of the time, the area had become infected. This was mainly due to antibiotics not yet being created and antiseptic being used as replacements. They also used diluted bleach to clean wounds. So basically, if Johnny got a boo-boo on his knee, his leg was amputated all the way to the
10: thigh. At least Johnny was in luck, as artificial limbs that were being more practical, and anesthesia was created so he didn't have to hear the song.
9: This is true. Also, Johnny could get to one of the hospitals without having to worry about falling off a horse, as ambulances were created in World War I, too.
10: Not to mention, inventions like generalized vaccines, new transfusion techniques, and new methods of facial reconstruction surgery that saved many of Johnny's friends. Unfortunately,
9: for some individuals, their life had to be let go as triage was practiced. Triage? Basically, Resources weren't wasted on individuals who were thought to die.
10: On a lighter note, the first gas masks were soaked in urine.
9: Suddenly, I am grateful that my face mask smells like laundry detergent. But did you also know that blood banks were created during World War I?
10: Well, there you have it. College students, you can thank World War One for your weekly income. Till next time.
9: Know-it-alls out.
11: of American History, we're going to be talking about the not so bad part of World War I. Women. Women showed they could take up the responsibilities of any man. Like we knew they could. For the first time, women were allowed to enlist in the armed forces, not only as nurses, but serving stateside and freeing the male soldiers to go overseas. The Navy and the
12: Marines started to accept a large number of women into active duty and some were accepted even
11: into the Coast Guard. This woman had the same responsibilities and some of the same benefits as men, including a pay of $28.75 per month. Mm
12: -hmm. They were treated as veterans and received honorable discharges from the military after the war ended.
11: It was more difficult for women to get accepted into the U.S. Army for military service. They did allow nurses in the Army nurse corps, but they received unequal pay and could not have a military rank.
12: Flora Sandys was the only British soldier that was a female, becoming a private for the Serbian military in 1950. Flora was wounded severely by a grenade. She was later declared the first female officer by the Serbian military and received the rank of officer.
11: Many saw the war as an opportunity to not only
12: serve their countries,
11: but to gain more rights and independence.
12: Although there was initial resistance to hiring women because it was considered men's work, the government started coordinating the employment of women through campaigns and recruitment drives.
11: Women were able to fill manufacturing and agricultural positions on the home front. This led to African American women being able to take their first major shift from domestic employment to office and work. The United States held women responsible for food conservation. Every housewife had to sign a pledge stating that they would carry out the directions and and advice of the food administrator in the conduct of my household insofar as my circumstances permit.
12: It meant they had to can food for the future, grow vegetables in their backyard, and limit food consumption.
11: Laws were passed to improve their standing. They had more rights on property, children within marriage, and divorce. Women started to gain more
12: education and could be involved in local politics.
11: These laws paved the way for further reform in favor of women's position in society.
12: In conclusion, World War I was a tragedy that helped women gain a higher
11: standard in society. Their hard work to keep the country going led to women becoming more independent. This empowered women to fight for
12: for more rights and social reforms.
11: So, Abby, what have we learned today?
12: Women are better.
13: Welcome to american history podcast i'm juliana and i'm kai and today we'll be discussing the leaders of world war one we've
14: each chosen the research and researched an alliance and will now present the results all right starting with the central powers this alliance was made of four countries during world war one germany austria-hungary bulgaria and the ottoman empire the leader of germany was kaiser wilhelm ii he ruled from march of 1888 until november of 1918 he was originally reluctant to declare war but was pressured and eventually joined austria-hungary in their war against serbia to save them from collapse he continued to be pressured and germany essentially became a military dictatorship that was dominated by a few generals moving on to the leader of austria-hungary emperor franz joseph he became the emperor of austria in 1848 and was the king of hungary from 1867. he declared war against serbia in 1914 after the assassination of Archdukes Franz Ferdinand and his wife Sophie and ultimately began war-, war began World War I. He died of pneumonia in November of 1916 and was preceded by Emperor Karl I. The leader The leader of the Ottoman Empire was Sultan Mehmed V. He was crowned in 1909 but he had little power. He was forced to endorse the policies decided by a trio of politicians. While he signed the declaration of war, he secretly believed it was a mistake that would jeopardize the already fragile empire. Finally, the leader of Bulgaria was King Ferdinand I. He was originally elected prince of the country by the National Assembly in 1887 and was Tsar of Bulgaria during the war, with the hope of gaining land once he was convinced that the Central Powers would win. The Bulgarian resources were exploited thoroughly throughout the duration of the war. In October 1918, he was forced to give up his position and pass it along to his son, Boris III.
13: Moving on to the Allied powers, there were four main countries in this alliance during World War I. France, Great Britain, Russia, and the United States. the Braves were joined by smaller countries and states that will not be mentioned in this episode. The leader of France during this time was Georges Clemenceau, named Prime Minister on November 15, 1917 for the second time. The darkest days of the war with the German push of the spring in 1918 was a hard time for France. Clemenceau, who had the nickname of the Tiger, did all he could to make sure his army had supplies and munitions to carry on the battle. He moved towards improving alliances with nations such as Russia and Great Britain. The leader of Great Britain was David Lloyd George, a peaceful guy, might I add. Now, when Britain entered the war in August of 1914, their Prime Minister was Herbert Aswith. His decision-making and delayed tactical skills caused him to resign after heavy casualties affected the British Army. Lloyd George was now the Prime Minister of Great Britain. He made the necessary steps to fix much of the issues left behind from Aswith. First, straying away from war seemed like the best option, however, as soon as Germany started violating the borders in the small country of Belgium, it was wartime. Russia. Tsar Nicholas II inherited the throne when his father, Alexander III, died in 1894. At the beginning of World War I, Russia's armies performed poorly. In response, Nicholas II appointed himself commander-in-chief so he could take direct control of the military from Grand Duke Nicholas, against the advice of his ministers. Over the course of World War I, Russia endured major losses and was subject to extreme poverty and high inflation and was one of its lowest points in its history. The Russians blamed Nicholas II for his poor military decisions. Our last allied leader, the United States President, Woodrow Wilson. Wilson tried to keep the United States neutral during World War I, but ultimately called on Congress to declare war on Germany in 1917 due to Germany's uncalled for behavior. Although the United States only entered the war at the end, the country's involvement is considered the turning point that led to the Allied victory. After the war, he helped negotiate a peace treaty that included a plan for the League of Nations. As you guys heard today, there were many important political figures during this time period, each country holding an important stance in war. From a very peaceful Lloyd George to a very peer pressured Wilhelm II, each of the leaders had a different approach to World War I. Much of the actions taken during this time had an impact on history, much of it leading to World War II that, however, is a topic for another episode. We invite you to look further into World War One history and its many aspects as you might find something that intrigues you.
14: We're your hosts,
13: Kai and Juliana, and we hope you enjoy this episode of American History Podcast. Till next time.